everybody, and welcome in to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself. Oh, I'm Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you? Hello, Mr. Chris. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely. That is a dead cow right there. (laughs) You are blowing the shofar for Yom Kippur. Today's our Yom Kippur episode, everybody. We're going to talk about Yom Kippur. We got a great episode lined up for you. But before we get there, hang on. Welcome in, welcome in. Steve, thanks for blowing the shofar. I'm blowing the shofar. Should have done it for Rosh Hashanah, but we are actually taping or or live streaming whatever we're doing here at the podcast. And for those people who could see the camera angle, uh, there actually is a... I'm actually wearing the same sweater. I know that's what a, is going that, on there. That, <laughs> I didn't even know that until just now. I'm wearing the same sweater, which tells you I'm not big on fashion. <laughs> I was going to say, you're like Steve Jobs. You wear the same thing over I, and over again, right? Yeah, I he love, was a smart guy. I love wearing the same thing. Well, if they can see that uh, thing hanging there... Hold on. Let me get it up for our, our live stream watchers. Okay. okay, there you go. Okay, that that's me. I, I was over the weekend. I was in Connecticut, and uh, just a wonderful church, Westwood's Bible Chapel, had me uh, for Sunday. And a year ago from that time, I was there as well, and I had my shofar with me. And so one of the gals who happened to be a Jewish believer said, I, "I'd really like to take a picture of you. Uh, do you mind? I'm like, no, I don't mind. So you can see it's fall, the tree, tree color, the leaves have changed. And so I, you can even see my mask because that was I did notice time. that in the picture that she took. You've That's got right. Mask. I actually, yeah. yeah, people were, uh, you know, there were older people. Because you can't blow a shofar with a mask now on. Now you can't do that. So uh, at any rate, I took the picture and I didn't think anything of it. And then we were up there just this on Sunday and she presented that to me. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, and, and, and there's a verse there, and let me read it for you. It's a very familiar— Wait, before you re- read that, you know, remember, we have a podcast audience that might not see it. So oh, can sorry. you describe oh, yeah. it really quick? It's, well, an, it's in, like a beautiful picture yeah, that she took of fall, you. It's a fall picture, and in the background is the uh, chapel, the church, and uh, the leaves are on the ground. Uh, I'm wearing a blue V-neck sweater and khaki pants, which is my traditional outfit. That's your traditional. Yep, that's that's wherever I go. That's your high priestly garb. That is my high priestly (laughs) garb. That's how we know you're set. And I I have my shofar and I uh, faked like I was blowing it. And so she took not only took the picture, she put it on a background that's kind of a you you could describe it like a fabric. It's like a fabric thing hanging. So you hang it up on a on a wall. And so next to me is inscribed this verse, uh, specifically from verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Mm. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that was so comforting to me, not only to uh, to have those verses, which speak of the rapture of the church and the comfort that it means to us, but it was comforting to realize that they would take this time, all yeah. that time, a picture last year, finding the picture, going somewhere to get that and scribe a verse and do all that. And then they left us with, when we headed home, they gave us a babka cake, yeah. uh, and if anybody knows Seinfeld, babka is a big—they did, I, 
I did, I barely remember that uh, and hearing about the Bobka. In fact, the way I remember is Laura Coleman told me when I handed her the Bobka and said, oh, if anybody here wants it, she said, oh, that's right out of Seinfeld. So, <laughs> so anyway, so uh, they gave us that. It was just a very nice thing. Sounds like do. a great time. But you blow, for our listening audience uh, who is not familiar, who are not familiar with a shofar and, um, and uh, they just heard you blow the shofar, uh, can you describe what a shofar is? Yes. Uh, in fact, here, I'll pick it up. There so I don't know if our cameras can. This is a big one, a, a real long one. Uh, the shofar is a trumpet. The shofar was used by the Jewish people back in the day to call people, call them to prayer. You could call them to military duty. You could call them to safety behind the walls mm-hmm. as they would blow the shofar. Shabbat. So uh, be welcomed Shabbat. In. Yep. Shabbat. Right before. Uh, it's It's a call. And, uh, of course, on Rosh Hashanah, it's called the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, They blow the shofar, and they blow the shofar, too, at Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur uh, is the Day of Atonement. We're going to be talking about that. Yep. And we call it, Jewish people call it the one of the high holy days. Mm -hmm. That's what Jewish people call it, at least in America, high holy days. What, What are the high holy days? Well, there's... Rosh Hashanah, which is actually two days uh, in America, and then Rosh Hashanah, and then Yom Kippur, and the synagogues are just like Christmas and Easter for Gentiles, where the uh, churches are going to be more filled than they normally are. The same is true for these high holy days. The synagogues are filled. People are in the synagogue. This is a very serious, somber. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of the fact that there are—I've always looked at Passover and Yom Kippur, some of the highest hol- holy holidays for the Jewish people, and, you know, they not only get the the command to worship or to honor God on Yom Kippur and Passover, but they also get their own chapters dedicated to them. Passover being Exodus chapter 12, the story of the Passover, it's a whole chapter dedicated to that, and the ordinance of, chap- of Passover is built in. And then the same thing with Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16. It's an entire chapter dedicated to the story, the plot line, which we're going to look at today of Yom Kippur. But before we get to that, uh, I'm instituting a new segment in our program that I thought we could lead off with, Steve, and it's called the Jew and Gentile Rundown. And so with this Jew and Gentile Rundown, we'll just always have maybe something that we can talk about You're always quick. springing new stuff on me, Chris. I know, that's because we don't really plan for this. It just <laughs> happens. People are in our planning meetings, you know what I mean? That's what the podcast is. We should just call it the Jew and Gentile planning meeting. But uh, but I just thought, you know, maybe it won't happen every week, but we can keep people engaged with the Jew and Gentile Rundown. And Steve, you actually, for our first rundown, you actually found a very interesting video that, you know, you would automatically assume would feel anti-Semitic, but it's not. So Which is you... exactly why I watched it, Chris. The title of it is called 15 Reasons Why Jewish People Are Richer. Yeah. Richer. Not rich, richer. And if you watch the video, it leads like this. This is not an anti-Semitic video. <laughs> That's it. And I'm glad they did. Uh, I'm glad I watched it that way. It caught my attention. I thought it was anti-Semitic. Uh, People could go to alux.com. They have a number of videos. I'm totally not familiar with this group or anything. I think it's Israeli. Um, But the number of videos, and it's really to help people, to motivate them, uh, 
to improve themselves yeah. financially and and uh, career wise. It's I was interested after I watched this video of looking at other videos, and of course I told you about it. But I think, and if I if I am I could be wrong, but it's definitely either a Jewish organization, alux.com, or it's an Israeli organization. I mean, it's one or the other because. Um, the, the people sound Israeli when they talk, and there's a lot of Jewish insights that come from all their videos. And they're great videos, too, well-produced. They, they, they are. They are. And so I wanted to see what these 15 reasons why Jewish people are richer. And, of course, a lot is built into the culture, and that's really what this video was talking about. Um, for one, uh, the first one, and I'm not, we're not going to go through all 15. You're going to include that in a— It's already in there, yep. Yeah, so they can access uh, the video themselves and watch it. I think it's worthwhile. Uh, but uh, one, their, number one was Judaism and wealth are, uh, are ingrained in, Jew, in Judaism, the idea of being gainfully employed and looking negatively at poverty and not positively on poverty, mm -hmm. which— gets me to uh, one of the two Talmudic laws that are fundamental to Judaism. Again, we're not—this is Talmudic. And the Talmud tells us that a father is to teach his son two important things. First, I think we've talked about it, Chris, before in, in our podcast. I've forgotten. I'm, you've, you've got, I'm geared in number, right now, though. Number one is to swim. Oh, yes, you I have do. to teach a person, your son, to swim. I love And number two— is to provide a trade for him because both of those gifts or talents are for survival. That's so you're thrown in the water, you'll survive. You're go thrown into the world, you have a trade. Uh, if you remember Fiddler on the Roof, Tevya's first son-in-law in the first marriage, he had his sewing machine yep. and he took it with him to America. Yep. And by the way, my grandfather was a tailor. And oh, really? so yeah, he was a tailor and you take you, he were, you're able to take your trade with you wherever you go uh, and you could survive. So Judaism, according to one of the reasons is uh, being employed, working is very important for survival. That's interesting because there are a lot of great biblical passages from Proverbs, uh, the wisdom literature that talk about the value of someone working and not being lazy, things of that nature that we see over and over again in the in the book of Proverbs. So, Well, we're going to talk in our Yiddish word, we're going to talk about what a person's called if they don't work, <laughs> if they have a poor work ethic. We'll talk about well, that. that. One's, yeah, that's at the end. That's right. Uh, the second one was European Jews could not own land. Very true. Uh, the Jews in Europe were not allowed to own land. It forced them to do something that the, quote, Christians weren't allowed to do. And Chris, that was, they weren't allowed to uh, charge interest uh, because that would be something that would keep them out of heaven. We're talking about a legalistic system, even amongst those identified as Christians. So they said, oh, let the Jews do it. So the Jews, the Jewish people, became money lenders, yep. looked negatively by the Christian community, but prosperous, which led them to open banks. banks. That's it. Banks. That's how banks started. Uh, and because uh, the Jewish people were allowed to do that. And so uh, so lending money is okay amongst Jewish people, 
Uh, but And the Bible, too, it just says don't charge excessive interest. So a reasonable amount of interest is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I hope everybody agrees. That's how our culture is. Can't uh, get a mortgage without an interest. 100%. That's, that's right. So the other one that's not surprising, uh, but according to this uh, website, Jewish people are the most educated, 13.4 years of education. And number two is Christians, according, again, and they have 9.3, so it's a slam Still, dunk. Yeah. Uh, credentials uh, seem to be important today, and, and they have been. And Jewish people, I could tell you, when I was in my mother's womb, the only question was, which school is he going to after high school? Because he's going to university. Yeah. And today, it's not even you're going to university. It's which graduates, when they're in the womb, yep, exactly. what graduate school are they going to? Yep, exactly. It's, education is rooted in the Bible. Jewish people were to be fluent in the scriptures. And what has happened over the course of time is they've generally become less um interested in reading the Bible and educated as it relates to the Bible, they still have a zeal for education, and it's now in secular things. That's amazing. I I like this one too, Steve, which was their religion teaches good business practice. Ethics. Ethics. Business ethics. That's so how they took from the Torah, from the law, the ethics of how you treat others, you treat those who work under you, um, things of that nature. And so... Any deception or, con- or collusion or price fixing against a consumer, it says, is known as an ona, That's which, right. which is translated, which means oppression. Fleecing the consumer is seen as an oppression of freedom. And again, in the Proverbs, you get that making sure that your your balances scales are, are your scales yep. are balanced because that's how people cheated you. They would add weight and then you, they could charge you more for your goods. But God was against that completely. So making sure you had honest business practices or the ethics that come into to, to, to Jewish practices here. You know, business. Chris, in my travels of over 40 years going to different churches, I cannot tell you how many Christians, uh, this is going to Bible-believing uh, churches, Christians come up and say a couple things. Number one, they'll uh, very common. I worked for a Jewish person. Uh, I I work. He owned the company, uh, or this Jewish family owned the company. They treated me so well. They were interested in me. Mm-hmm. They, if somebody was in need, they would even alter the price or give them a certain amount to pay. They were as much interested in making money as they were in helping people and. I had all I've had maybe you have too but I've had all kinds of people through the years telling me how impressed they were with the business practices and the heart the the the, the compassion that so many Jewish uh, business owners whether individuals or families how they were treated and I really believe that that God honors that and mm-hmm. the Jewish people are a blessed people uh, and they want to bless others. You know, I'm just thinking, uh, and I, we have to move on, but I was just thinking of two people, um, Colin Powell. Uh, he actually, you know, Colin Powell, who was our former U.S. Secretary of State, uh, 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 you know, uh, a man of great acclaim. Uh, you could say he succeeded in life very well for himself. Well, he got his start at a Orthodox Jewish I business. I forgot about that. You're right. It's in his book, which I've read. His, that, that, that's a great point. And he, made, he learned Yiddish. 
He could speak Yiddish. He had the Yiddishkeit uh, background. I think, as you like to stay, say, I think he had a Jewish kepi, a Jewish head, because of the experience he got working for that Orthodox Jewish family, selling baby, uh, you know, um, cribs and strollers and stuff when he was a kid in New York City. But do you remember the story of him telling what the owner said to him when he was in high school? Tell the story. That's really significant the the i mean i guess he could have worked there as long as he wanted in high school and the owner the orthodox jewish owner said uh i think he called him Kali. Kali, you can't work here forever you're a you're you're too smart and bright you need to go get a college education and he was forcing him out to go move up in the world through and and apparently colin powell had already had the ambition to do that he did he said i've i've heard him interviewed and he said it, the point of the whole thing, he said, I wasn't planning on staying, but the fact that he talked to me about it and wanted me, he saw value in me and potential in me, impressed him. He never forgot that. It's amazing. The other is Louis Armstrong, and I believe it's Louis Armstrong. Um, he got his first trumpet from an Orthodox Jewish guy, who uh, Bugle who gave it to him as a gift because he kind of saw something in him. He said, you need this, you need to. And that became his, the thing he learned to play trumpet on. But that came from a the help of an Orthodox Jewish man. That's, you have a Jewish kepi, Chris, because I, I remember when you say it, but I forgot about those two and the impact that the Jewish people made on them. It's profound. Well, so those are just a few of the 15. I encourage you to go to our show notes and you can read the rest again. But let me state this, and Steve, I think this is important to note too. Not all Jewish people are rich. And that's number 15, by the way. Oh, is it? Number 15 is they say there's Jewish people who are rich. There's Jewish people who are middle class. There's Jewish people who are poor, just like other groups. But their point was contained within the culture itself is an emphasis to help their own. There's this sense of community. That was another point. Their community, helping one another, networking among one another. Their desire as a community is to help each person to become all that they could be, uh, borrowing the Army's uh, uh, old uh, marketing line. But it's true. And so number 15, very important. You're right, Chris. We're not all rich. That's right. Uh, I I remember in college, I know we have to move on. When I was in college, first, I roomed with an African-American. And when I walked in, I was just a freshman, walked in to my room, he said, hey, so I'm, I'm bringing stuff in. He said, hey, can I borrow your car? I said, what? I don't have a car. That was his first line. Yeah, that was his first. Can I borrow your car? I said, I don't have a car. And he said, well, okay. Uh, He said, your stereo. Do you mind if I play your... I said, I I didn't bring a stereo. And so he said, hey, I thought you were Jewish. I said, I am Jewish. And he said, well, aren't they all rich? I said, no. (laughs) No no car, no stereo, no nothing. (laughs) Bupkis. But he thought... Again, the mentality, oh, yeah, I got a Jewish roommate. He's going to have this, 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 mm-hmm. this, and this. Well, two Yiddish words come out there. You gave him bupkis, and he had some chutzpah for asking you, okay? <laughs> he was a great guy. Uh, yeah, but he did. That's he did. great. Well, uh, again, you can go to our show notes to go follow up. Watch the videos that they have. Some great insights there at alux.com. Um, but, Steve, let's talk about Yom Kippur uh, in our remaining time. Let's uh, The Jewish people today, which is Wednesday, October the 5th, are celebrating are honoring, they're honoring um, uh, Yom Kippur. It's not a day of celebration. It's a day of actually fasting and mourning and praying in the synagogue. 
Um, and in fact, today during chapel uh, for Friends of Israel, I read some of the verses. I think you should read them now, too, Chris. While you're turning to your pages to read from the Word, uh, Yom Kippur is a solemn day. It's the day uh, following uh, Rosh Hashanah and 10 Days of Awe, which we spoke about briefly. And those 10 Days of Awe determine in Jewish minds uh, who is written in the Book of Life. The desire is everybody has is written in the Book of Life, but that's not going to happen. And on Yom Kippur, if you haven't repented uh, and uh, turned from your sins and have them atoned for, forgiven, you could be sealed in the Book of Judgment. Mm-hmm. But they want to be sealed in the Book of Life. That one of the passages that they read from is Micah chapter seven, which is a, a fantastic end to the Book of Micah. It's the very end. And they read Micah 7, verses 18 through 20, which says this, Who is a God like you? Which is Micha. That's what that means. Micha means who is like you. Who is a God like you um, uh, who pardons sin and forgives transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. So again, that concept of we are sinners, uh, we've done wrong, we know that we've done wrong, acknowledging that, and yet we also are confident in the character and nature of God to forgive us of those sins if, predicated on the if component, if we confess those sins and come to you in, and ask for forgiveness. That 100%, the, the issue here, and without trying to be uh, snarky in any way, I can tell you that at Yom Kippur, the question is, so, which are Jewish people taking their goat to be sacrificed? Uh, and if they are taking their goat, they got to turn it over to the high priest, uh, who only once a year goes in. But Chris, I'm in America. There is no temple here. There's no temple. And there's no temple in Israel. No, and all the all the laws, you know, based on Yom Kippur are centered around the tabernacle or the temple. I mean, you cannot it's very territorial in where this event is supposed to take place. And so technically, Yom Kippur is null and void according to the law apart from the tabernacle or the temple. Um, standing. And so uh, rabbis around 90 AD um, in the area of Israel called Yavna, they got together. They were the Pharisees, actually. They got together and they reconstructed a lot of what Yom Kippur looks like today, which is less of an, well, definitely a less of an emphasis on sacrifice of a physical animal and more of a sacrifice of your personal time, energy, resources, asking for forgiveness, praying, doing good deeds. So you almost in some way you become the, you're sacrificing your energies and your times. You almost become that sacrifice, but you're doing prayers, repentance, um, asking for forgiveness, um, and doing good deeds, charity as well, mitzvotes. Well, the story, I've told it before, but it's worth telling. The rabbi and the student are looking over the burning temple and the student t- turns to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, what are we going to do? Our people are fleeing. Uh, our temple is on fire. What are we going to do for sacrifices? And the rabbi says, from now on, we will fast, which is what happens today. Mm-hmm. We will pray. Happens all day on Yom Kippur. And we will give charity. What's interesting, Chris, 
is if you read in Leviticus, and we went through the whole book, for our listeners who might be tuning in, they could go back and listen to that. We went through the whole book of Leviticus. What we found is that God centralized worship and centralized the way we worship through that, as you said, the temple and tabernacle. If you would go around just New Jersey, we're, we're taping this, we're talking here in our podcast in New Jersey, I could take you to a Orthodox synagogue, mm-hmm. a conservative synagogue, a reform synagogue, a humanistic synagogue, and they will all acknowledge that it's Yom Kippur, and they will all tell you, we're going to worship our way. Yeah. And so the Orthodox don't worship the same way the conservatives do. Usually what, <laughs> when I went to synagogue, it was all day. People took breaks on their own, but in the auditorium, it was all day. Yeah. Reading, praying. We were fat. No, no water breaks. You were fasting. No food breaks. I could take you to conservative uh, synagogue, and they would say, ah, it's, it's a little too much that the Orthodox are doing. We're going to edit. We're going to do a little editing. And the Reformed Jewish people will say, I, I, I understand what they're doing. Ah, we're going to do they too much Hebrew. Uh, we're going to do it our way. And the humanistic Jewish people will say, yeah, it's Yom Kippur. We, we don't, it's just important that our culture gets together. We're, we're going to have a nosh together yeah. as we celebrate Yom <laughs> Kippur. And I'm not trying to be mean or demeaning. Christians do the same thing. Yep. They, they're, they read something and then they mangle it so that they can be comfortable in what they do. I can tell you since COVID, COVID, my mother, 98 years old, uh, rightfully so, so, I said, Mom, what are you doing for Rosh Hashanah? What are you doing for Yom Kippur? Oh, we're Zooming. Yeah. We're Zooming. <laughs> in fact, in her synagogue that she goes to, which is Reform right now, they have uh, all day unmasked worship service. Then they have an all-day masked service. Wow. And then they have a virtual service. So that makes everybody comfortable. Yep. Um, I will say, too, your mother's 90... 98. She did the right thing. She's Zooming. She's Zooming. I, I have no problem with that. What I am saying is that if you compare the text on how they celebrated or, or remembered Yom Kippur, it involved a one-way system. Yep, that's it. You didn't get your choice. There were no opinion pieces uh, in terms... God didn't allow opinion pieces. Well, that's... Uh, God's doing it this way, but here's my opinion. No, you, didn't, you don't get that. And that's actually where Yom Kippur comes from, because the whole thing of Yom, Yom Kippur begins with after Nadab and Abihu died. Now, in Leviticus 16, it leads with after the death of Nadab and Abihu, God institutes Yom Kippur. Well, Nadab and Abihu thought they could come to God however they wanted. They offered a unauthorized fire or a strange fire, which is basically them doing what they wanted to do, apart from the instructions of God on how to approach a holy God. And God had to correct that with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and so that becomes very important because, like you said, today we, oh, we'll come this way, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll offer this up, we'll give a donation here, blah, 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 blah. But the reality is that God says, you must come this way. And that's why I think the writer of Hebrews really ties in what Jesus did, his sacrifice, into Yom Kippur. He doesn't necessarily call it Yom Kippur, but talking about the high priest, Jesus being our high priest, one without sin, who's eternal, 
um, talking about the sacrifice that's offered, the once-for-all sacrifice for sins, for the forgiveness of sins, the blood that was shed and and uh, to purify us of our sins. All of those are illustrations or, or, or pictures of that go back to Yom Kippur, even though the writer of Hebrews doesn't necessarily label it Yom Kippur. Chris, it's offensive today to say there's one way. And I, I know people get offended when Jesus in John 14, 6 said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, let's back up. As a Jewish person, there's only one way. Yom Kippur, there's no—the the Day of Atonement, there is no other options. If you want to celebrate Yom Kippur biblically, then there's only one way. Well, you say, wait a minute, the temple's destroyed. 100%. That should drive up a Jewish person to ask this question. Wait a minute. Did God leave us without a way? Mm-hmm. If there was a way here, what, what, didn't he provide a way? And the fact is, in about 33 AD or so, there was the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the things that followed, the, it begs the question, not how with the temples destroyed, what do we do now? The question is, what do we do period. Right. And and look, man, Jewish or Gentile, it's hard for him to acknowledge to God and to fellow men there's only one way. The tabernacle only had one way to enter. The temple only had one way to enter. And in fact, in the temple worship, there was it it, it kind of weeded out people as you got closer. Mm-hmm. You might not agree with it. Whoop, weed out Gentiles. Oop, weed out women. Weed out everybody else except the priest. Mm -hmm. Weed out everybody except one high priest. And Judaism is biblical, is built on one way. Mm. That's offensive to a lot of people. You know, I was reading about the future millennial temple in Ezekiel, and I got to a fascinating part because it started talking about who gets weeded out in it. And what was interesting is that it said that those without a circumcised heart— are weeded out. So it's not even, you know, everyone is welcome in as long as their heart is circumcised. Um, and how do you have your heart circumcised? Well, according to the scriptures, that comes by faith and what God is doing. And what did God do? He sent his son to be our be our Yom Kippur scapegoat, the Azazel from Leviticus 16, to become our sacrifice, the, the, the sacrifice that's offered. At, uh, you know, there were two goats that were actually presented to the high priest on Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16, and lots were cast before both of them to pick out which one would do which job. So one would become the scapegoat, and one would actually become the sacrifice. And so Jesus becomes both of those things. All of our sins are put on him. That's what it talks about in the New Testament. All of our sins were transferred onto him, which is exactly what happened to the scapegoat in Leviticus 16. And then he also fulfilled it in becoming the sacrifice for us as well, which cleansed the temple or, and, or the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. His blood became the purifying component to us being able to have a relationship with the Lord, uh, you know, with God the Creator. And so, anyway, there's a lot of great imagery that's wrapped up in, in there in Yom Kippur as well. 100%. Of, several years ago, I'm dating myself with Friends of Israel, we had a brochure called How to Have a Kosher Heart. Kosher Heart. Mm. You just talked about that. Uncircumcised heart is trafe, unclean. Uh, you could be Jewish with a trafe heart. You could be Gentile with a trafe heart. 
How do you get a kosher? How do you get a kosher heart? Nicodemus was told by Jesus, "You must be born again." And he said, "What? I can't get into my mother's <laughs> womb again. What? No, there's no no way." And he said, "You're a teacher in Israel, mm-hmm. and you don't understand because in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah is the idea of a kosher or circumcised heart. Well, in in their day, Moses's day, they were sophisticated, but they never did open heart surgery. Today we do open heart surgery. Yeah, and you know, you got to rip the cavity open. They stop the heart. They are able to do." Great things. It's now a doctor has interceded and dealt with your heart. What did Jesus say? You must have a, you must be born again, born from above. Mm -hmm. The great surgeon, if you will. The one who could do spiritual surgery on your heart. That's what Yom Kippur is indicating. That, yes, you need to repent. You need to tell God you're a sinner and acknowledge you're helpless and hopeless without him and that through his provision— which was during the temple days through a, a, a sacrifice that year after year after year, but finally through the Messiah of Israel, who's also our great high priest, yep. paid the price for us so that you and I, Gentile and a Jew, can have a kosher heart. It should also be noted as well that, like you said, it, uh, one way does sound very offensive, but at the same time, God provided one way, but he welcomes all to come. Hundred percent. That is, you know, that is something that goes back to when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter twelve. He said, "Abraham, I'm choosing you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to protect you. Why? Because through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, Abraham, I'm choosing this. You're one little family that is going to bring salvation to the world, so that everyone might know." and have a relationship with me. So God has definitely provided one way, but that doesn't also mean he's excluded, you know, groups of people or, well, I'm not welcome there. No, you are welcome through repentance, the forgiveness of sins, through the one way that God has provided. You know, uh, you could see in certain people's preaching throughout Christian history uh, as various uh, speakers or evangelists, whatever word you want, and you see some people who hearts become harder. They're hearing the same message. And others, it's like, how did this happen? This is so wonderful. God's provision, yeah. his mercy, his grace. And so some respond no, and some respond yes. But it's not based on, are you a man or a woman? Are you Jewish? Are you Gentile? Are you old? Are you young? No, the message is for anyone, all who will come. I like that you talked about how some people's hearts are, you know, stubborn toward it and some it, that's even the case in the prophets because one of the prophets that are read during Yom Kippur is Jonah. And what they read Jonah chapter 1 and it says the Lord the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go for, uh, to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Why? You know why? You know why? Because <laughs> he knew God would forgive he them. He knew they'd for- He said, those people are nasty people. And uh, we have our Yiddish word of the day. We'll talk about That's that. That's right. But those people, they're, they're no, they're going to respond to the message. I don't want them to respond to the message. Even the prophets of Israel, which is Jonah, God called Jonah, his heart was stubborn toward God's forgiveness, the idea that he could forgive. Oh, he a was group happy for God forgiving him. Oh, yeah. He didn't want anybody else to be forgiven. <laughs> Steve, I, I'll close with this for Yom Kippur. But um, I was watching uh, Larry David, who is one of the creators of Seinfeld, and he had this bit that he did during Yom Kippur. 
And apparently, I, I'm, I'm assuming it was more of a reform synagogue that he went to. He's Jewish. And um, so he, apparently you have to buy tickets. Oh, you do? Oh, absolutely you do. Some synagogues are too, their auditoriums are too small. They rent other auditoriums because for Shabbat, they have a few people, but for the high holidays, you got to go, you got to go to a bigger place. So Larry David shows, and I forget who the other comedian is, but the other, so Larry David and his wife show up to synagogue on Yom Kippur and he gets there and he's looking at his ticket and it's another comedian and I forget his name, but he goes, you know, you're in my seat. <laughs> and the guy goes, I'm not in your seat. This is my seat. I ordered these seats a long time ago. And Larry did, you're in my seat. And he starts reading. And he goes, no, somebody must have double booked. And here the whole point is they're fighting one another on Yom, Yom Kippur. Kippur. <laughs> it was genius. You it know? is genius. It is genius. But anyway, that's Yom Kippur. It's a national holiday for repentance. But we know we're true or for forgiveness. God's forgiveness of his people's sins, but that was only a type, a foreshadow of what would ultimately come in the Lord Jesus, uh, our high priest, our scapegoat, our ultimate once-for-all sacrifice. Boy, doesn't that make you excited? God's grace. He, God is a God of grace, and we can learn and see his grace progressively through the text. It's great. Mm. Well, why don't we go ahead and move into the news, because we've got some interesting things to talk about here, and maybe this has been something that our listeners have been hearing on the on the news as they've been watching it. But Steve, why don't you go ahead and take it from here? Well, I told you, Chris, one of the things that attracted me to uh, alux.com was the headline, 15 Reasons Why Jewish People Are Richer, and I thought it was anti-Semitic. Well, what also caught my eye was UC Berkeley's law school, Jew-Free Zones. Yeah. I saw that headline and said, oh, no. Jew-Free Zones, the latest progressive trend. And this is uh, an opinion piece that Vase we— mirror. Uh, it is vase mirror. I can tell you. Oy, vase mirror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, here's here's the, the deal here, Chris. Uh, it says— uh, that the University of California Berkeley School of Law amended their bylaws to ensure that nobody who supports Israel, and mind you, this is the law school student progressive uh, club, if you will. It's yeah. not the policy of UC Berkeley. There's I like wanna... nine different clubs in the These law These are clubs school. within the school. So I, I want to make that clear. This isn't the policy of UC Berkeley. But what is astounding to me is... These nine school student groups at the uh, Berkeley School of Law amended their bylaws to ensure that nobody who supports Israel or Zionism is invited to speak. That is my point. Uh, so, it, in essence, a Jew-free uh, zone, which is hilarious, sadly hilarious. I, I think, for me, when I get in trouble or something is going on, I laugh instead of cry. I think that's some people do that. So when I say it's hilarious, it made me laugh. It's so crazy. So the ruling would bar the law school's own dean. <laughs> Edward Chemerinsky, uh, C-H-E-M-E-R-I-N-S-K-Y, who identifies as a progressive Zionist, would not be allowed. <laughs> he would not be allowed to to speak at his own campus at any of these nine uh, various clubs that are there. What's also interesting 
to me is, uh, let's see, I got to find it. Rashida Tlaib, is that what you're going to? Yep. You want me to read it? Yeah, please do. Just a few weeks ago, it says in this Newsweek article here that Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Democrat from Michigan, laid out the argument for effectively barring pro-Israel Jews from progressive spaces. She wrote, quote, or said, quote, I want you all to know that among progressives, it has become clear that you cannot claim to hold progressive values yet back Israel's apartheid government. She said that during a live stream. Chris, you and I both are very much aware of the Holocaust, the history of the Holocaust, the history of anti-Semitism. We have on our own Equip. uh, Equip is sponsoring uh, uh, our podcast. And we've had anti-Semitism taught by Ty Perry. Uh, When I read things like this, where a politician is openly saying that, the next step, there's only one more step, and the next step is to bar Jewish people yep, exactly. from university. You have, to be, a, you have to be a Jewish—think about it. You have to be a Jewish person who hates the Jewish, the only Jewish country in the world. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't those Jewish people, because we know that there are, but they're a minority. And I, we could also argue there's probably a lot of progressive Jewish people out there as well. So she's not only—you know, she's— slicing and dicing up what the progressive movement stands for and saying, you're Jew, you can't be here if you believe in Israel Israel and the Jewish people. You know, and they're at university. If you were telling me they have an anti-Zionist on campus and a Zionist on campus, come listen to them discuss the pros and cons of of an Israel, I got no, I have an opinion, but I got no beefs. They're, They're just saying, we're cutting out one argument. We're, mm-hmm. we're not even going to listen to them. They don't matter. We don't want them here. And it's not just these clubs, but you've got a politician who's saying, hey, that's the way it should be everywhere. That's scary. It is scary. And that is actually the direction of the progressive movement. I was just listening to, um, who's our transportation secretary? The- Buttigieg? Buttigieg. So uh, apparently somebody had brought up a video of him and uh, when he was running for president and this Democratic woman got up and said to him as he was uh, as he was speaking, I I have a question. I'm a pro-life Democrat. Uh, Is there room for me in the party? Wow. I know that. That's a great question. And you know what he basically said? Oh, I respect your decision. But no, there's not even room. He was honest. Yeah. There's not room for you in here. And so, you know, that's the same thing that Rashida Tlaib is doing. She's saying to the progressive movement, there's no room for Jews in here or anybody that holds or values Israel and the Jewish people. So, again, they're they're pushing their own—I I would, again, you know, you think of uh, um, who's the senator? Uh, Bernie Sanders. I mean, he's a progressive Jewish man. I don't think he hates Israel, but he definitely is— Oh, no, he saw—I I can't say he hates Israel— but he is pro-Palestinian. Right, exactly. But I also don't—I don't know if he could be welcomed into the progressive movement that uh, Rashida Tlaib is talking about. I mean, that's the kind of thing. They're slicing and dicing and pushing people out. 100%. And what happened in Germany—I'm just saying what happened in Germany is it got to the point that no matter what a person was believing or who they—the fact that they were Jewish— Bernie Sanders would have been dead in Nazi Germany. It wouldn't matter if he believed in Jesus, if he's an atheist, if he is uh, uh, Ari Krishna, it doesn't matter. He would he was Jewish. We haven't come that far yet, mm-hmm. but the progression of the progressives is 
we're at least 50% there. Yeah. Uh, the irony of it all is that if Rashida Tlaib or the students that are pushing out pro-Israel, you know, um, Zionists who, be- who believe in Israel and won't let them speak, the, the irony is that would their f- view of the world, would their view of, you know, um, you know what, how, how the world should function, would that be welcomed in the West Bank? Would that be welcomed? Would Rashida Tlaib's views on, on marriage and things like that be welcomed in Gaza? Or would it be welcomed in Israel? That is the irony of it all, is that if they really want to find true progress, there's a lot of progressives in Israel, and I'm sure they'd be more welcomed, their views would be more welcomed in Israel than in Gaza or the West Bank. So it's an interesting situation. Well, and it's a good segue to the BBC, which is actually bringing up a topic, Chris, that is uh, captivating right now, this time period. And the headline of the BBC is that... Er Iran schoolgirls remove hijabs in protest against the government. We know that what's happening is uh, the government has cracked down on women who don't wear their hijabs, and that's a problem. And so I, I found it unbelievable that in Iran, and I got a. And these are young women, too. Uh, absolutely. In the southern city of Shiraz on Monday, dozens of schoolgirls blocked traffic in a main road. This is in Iran, Chris. Yeah. Waving their headscarves in the air and shouting, death to the dictator. <laughs> they have, cur- this is tremendous amount of courage because it's a reference to the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, who has the final say on all state matters. Chris, they're, they are wanting religious freedom. Yep. That's what they're wanting. Yep. They're taking off their hijabs and they're they're sending uh, certain gestures with their fingers to the uh, to the Ayatollah. Um, they're fed up and uh, and they should be. Um, and they're putting their they're putting their lives at risk. Let's put it that way by doing that. This this actually comes after a young a woman was killed for not wearing her hijab. That's why they are re- responding this way to them because of the of the punishment that came with this young woman not wearing her hijab. She was mur- murdered, killed, and now they're all responding by taking them off and sending a signal. The question is whether or not what will as a as a liberal western society, what will we do? Will we support them or will we as you know, will our uh our leadership in America support the women and their right to be able to take off their hijab and free themselves? Or will we say, no, you put that back on. We're supporting the Ayatollahs. hundred percent. It's, it's always, what are you doing in your protests? You know, in here, it has to do with Iran and the hijabs in, uh, you have, uh, NBA and, um, uh, other groups in China, as it relates to China, the NBA players and Nike, uh, yeah, yeah, China doesn't do what we're saying here, but they that's a we want to promote basketball and we want to promote our clothing and all that. Mm-hmm. It's a conflict. And are we consistent? These gals are putting themselves on the line. I have you have to respect 100% what they're doing. They're being brave because they could lose their lives. It it shows you that the desire to be free uh which is historically that's how our country was founded. Uh Freedom, mm-hmm. uh, religious freedom. That, yes, that's right. And so it's wow is all I can say. This is this is a wow moment. It really is. The question is whether or not you know the world will promote these young ladies for their bravery, or will we just silence that. You know, 
to 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 placate the Iranians and the Iranian leadership, the Ayatollahs. Hey, you know what, Steve? We need oil, so let's keep that quiet. Or you know what, Steve? We're trying to make a deal with is with Iran, a nuclear deal. So let's just keep it quiet. You yep, know. Yep. So I think that that plays an important part too. But that's what's going on in the news. I hope that you go check out our links that are available on our show notes if you want to do a deeper dive into the news and also into our Jew and Gentile rundown that we talked about earlier. Also, just a quick reminder that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And Steve, tomorrow night... Chris, play some music. You are the teacher tomorrow, yes? No, we're not ending our show yet. Okay, no, we... We have, no. Tomorrow we have our... We've got to play some introductory... The, I know, the, we don't have anything. The radio Oh, how about host. maybe this? Let's see. Okay, this is nice. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll play anything. What do we I, got? <laughs> that to me sounded like... I don't know. What's the uh, rhythmic uh, 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 songs that uh, African-American community... Oh, like, rap. It's yeah, a little bit of rap. It sounded it's like a, yeah, it sounded like rap music. And so Chris is going to be rapping be, his way intertestamental tomorrow. That's right. I'm going to rap intertestamental history tomorrow between Malachi and Matthew and uh, join us. We already have 600... And 20 people registered for the class. That's That means people want to know what happened in the intertestamental period. I know. I really need to bring my A game. You, you know? better bring your A game. Well, we're going to tomorrow, the uh, on Thursday night, we're going to start with the Persian period, right? Where kind of the Bible, uh, Malachi leaves us off, um, and some other, you know, Second Chronicles and all of those passages begin to leave off. Uh, you know, after the the return of the exiles and and we get our last prophet speaking, we're still. You mean we just? You, you mean wait a minute? It didn't end in Malachi, and then we're in. Ro- we got the Romans. No, they didn't. Malachi did not roll over, and there's John the Baptist. You know, <laughs> we uh, there's a long four hundred years. Steve, our country, the United States, hasn't even been around for four hundred years. And think about what's changed in just. 50 years, uh, politically, religiously in 50 years, all of it. Well, the same thing happens in the intertestamental period. So we're going to be looking at the Persian period for the first night. The second week uh, for our class, we're going to look at the Greek period. Very important. And then finally, the last night, we're going to look at the Roman period. We're actually going to be looking at each one through the lens of some Jewish writing that comes from those time periods. So we're going to be, I know you. some of you might be rolling your eyes and thinking. Oh, no, I think this is interesting. No, but we're going to look at text actually from the Apocrypha, because, you know, though it's Explain not. Explain what the Apocrypha is. Yeah, the, though the, the Apocrypha is a lot of historical Jewish writings that come from in between the Testaments. Now, it often gets a bad name in evangelicalism because of the church, uh, the the Catholic Church is in, uh, considers the Apocrypha an inspired text, which includes history like First and Second Maccabees and certain you know writings. But we're going to look at them not from a not from an inspired component, but from a historical component because that Jewish people were writing during this time, and they're writing as things are happening around them. The politics, the religion, all of these things are changing, and so they're writing into these changes. And so we're going to look at some of these texts and how they were defining the people, what they were thinking. So we're going to look at the Persian period first, and That's we're going to actually study a, a text called Bell. And the dragon. Oh, cool. Yep. So you got to come on out. Uh, that's If you haven't registered yet and you'd like to, we'd love to have you. It's free. You can go to foiequip.org to register for my intertestamental history class. And we have other ones coming up as well. Zionism, 
uh, which will be taught by Paul Pierce. You can register for all the rest of our classes for 2022 right at foiequip.org. But Steve, this all is right. it. All right, all right. Well, you know, Chris, Yiddish word of the day. Back, back in the day, a long time ago, there was a singer by the name of Linda Ronstadt, and she has a famous song called "You're No Good." <laughs> And uh, some of our, some of the people. Where do you come up with this? This is so good. Go ahead. You could look up. You're no good. You're no good, baby. You're no good. I remember that song. Well, what we're, our Yiddish word, all you have to do is take no good and put a nick on the end and it becomes Yiddish. A no good nick. A no good nick is the Yiddish word of the day. A no good nick. That means that person is just no good. That's right. And you know what? We like the word no good nick because of Yom Kippur. Because the reality is, Steve, we're all no good nicks. We're all no good nicks. All of us. fall short of the glory of God. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if Paul used that, if he used no good nicks? We're all no good nicks. That's right. But praise be to God. He cleanses us and cleans us, and we are kosher. That's right. He makes us good nicks. We are good nicks. In Christ, we are good nicks, but apart from Christ, we're no good nicks. I I actually, it sounds like just English, no good. It is, no good, and they put a nick on it. So that's how they did it. They just put a nick at the end. They Yiddishized the book, I mean the word. They took no good from English and put a nick and in Yiddish, you could hear people say, no, he's a no good nick. That's what your grandmother used to say you were saying. My parents. Or your parents, parents would yep. say. No good nick. That's a no good nick yep. over there. Yep. You know, There's they, all kinds of no good nicks out there. Well, they did that to the kibbutz, people who lived on kibbutz. They called them kibbutz nicks. Yep. That's right. That's, so that's, Yidd- They Yiddishized them. That is so funny. Well, everybody, that's our Yiddish word of the day, the no good nick. I want to thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast where we looked at the 15 re- reasons that Jewish people are richer. We talked about Yom Kippur. We looked at some news going on in America and around the world with Israel and the Jewish people. I can't thank you enough for being with us, spending time with us. Again, don't forget to go to foiequip.org. There you can register for the remainder of our fall classes. Get on board. We'd love to have you. Uh, We're so thankful that you join us every single week to our listeners. Hey, you know what you're not? You're not no good, Nick's. You're good, Nick's. We thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.